Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Somebody To Me podcast, where we have meaningful conversations with influential somebodies focusing on their mentors and unsung heroes that help them to get to where they are today. It takes a village to build anything. It takes a community to care about something. And it takes a plethora of individuals to come into our lives at different moments to change it forever. I'm your host, Sam Dannon. And if you think you have to actualize your dreams alone, somebody to me is a reminder that you don't. Bubonic Bonic, Albazir Holly. This is all one man who's had many phases in his life already, and he's not stopping here. Formerly known as half of the rap duo, Philly's Most Wanted, he's now a recognized visual artist residing in Los Angeles. In January of 2020, Mike Risset curated a group art show called Belly of the Beast, in which Bonnick was a part of. As I was busy taking photos and socializing, somebody came up to me and asked if Bonnick was going to be there at the opening. He was so excited to meet him, explaining how he came from the same hometown as Bonnick and that Bonnick was a legend in Philadelphia and everyone there knows him and celebrates him. I've heard stories about Bonnick's past life, and I knew he was a talented rapper, but I never really knew his whole story leading up to the friend I know now. The Bonnick I know today makes art in his home every single day. He's a great father, he's motivating and encouraging, and he's in love. Here to connect all the dots for us, this is somebody to me, Al Bazir Holly, aka Bonnick. Who was the first person you remember influencing the work you do now? As far as art. Let's start with art and then we can back to me. Um, Probably the first person who really influenced art. It it wasn't so much a person as it was a time and a place. And it was um, 2009. My music career was kind of like it was just a rat and I wasn't, I wasn't, I was holding on to it. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't at that same space that it really was at. I wasn't there. I was like believing, you know, as I should, that, you know, I can still do it, which I can. And um, I've had my first real job I ever had, which was intended to be an internship at a clothing store and um, in the lower East side. And um, my boss, there was two of them. They were like, you know, cool people on the scene. And one of them, he had like all the model girls in the, in the New York and Soho and Lower East Side. Uh, and we, I would go bar hopping with him at night. And um, I always had my little crink things. And I would like do all the signs for the store and stuff like that. And then people would like them. And then I started painting on the girls he would hang out with, like just painting on their T-shirts. And we'd go to the bar and everybody would be like, yo, like, that t-shirt is crazy. Like who did that? And this, that, and the third, and like he did it. And then and for some reason in that moment, I just felt like I could be any of those guys who were, who was on that scene in the eighties and the seventies. And, you know, like I, I really did. And I was just like, wow. Like, and it just felt so, I don't know. Like I hadn't had that feeling in a very long time, like since the beginning of my music days. Okay, that's so, I I love that now I know where the whole drawing on female models comes from, because I feel like that's where I first (laughs) first got to know you. I'm like, Bonnick and girls. Yeah. But as far as mark making, and and you, you know, you're scribbling, you're doodling, you're, you're making these marks that obviously are extinct, are distinctly you, because people Uh are, you know, gravitated towards them yeah what type of mark making would you make and where'd you get that from um it was just basically for me I had seven sisters I lived in a house with four of them three of them sorry and um my whole like my whole childhood so like for me I love women I was raised by them my dad was away incarcerated so it was just my mom and my sisters so like for me, I just always wanted to involve women in things that I'd done because they had a lot to do with me being who I am. So I always wanted to just 
like I said, drawn on girls, model girls' t-shirts. And I always knew that women drive everything. No matter what men think or no matter what anybody thinks, like women drive everything, you know, like, I've I've seen I, I've con- I've often did this experiment just you know just for shits and gigs really because I already know the answer but just to prove it um, so it's proven like you could play a guy for us you could play a song for a guy right and you'd be like oh you know whatever like, yeah it sound alright it sound cool and then he get around the girl plural girls and I'm not around, and they play the same song, which is me, and they going crazy, and he's like, oh, that's my shit, like, I love that song, like, I, he let me hear that the other day, like, this, that shit, right, like, you know what I mean, and it's like two different reactions, and they both really genuine, believe it or not, like, I'm sure he liked it when I played it, but it's that male thing, but then when the women give the pass, it's like, it's okay, like, it's like, oh, no, I, I, I like it too, so, you know, I just always wanted to include women in my work, and that's kind of my. That's what you meant by mark, like, like, like. How do I make my mark on art, or like actual marks like this? I mean, both. I I'm just glad that I even know that backstory. I didn't know that about yeah. you. As yeah. far as women being such a anchor in your life and such a big yeah. say, I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. Fact, as as far as mark making. And following mm-hmm. your fingers and your hands to do these things on T-shirts and on signage at the store. Yeah, where was that coming? That's just my dad. My dad is like an artist. Well, he not like me, but like in jail, he was like the guy who like did the artwork for his prison. You know what I mean? Like for for his section of the prison for them to send home to their kids and wives or whoever. You know what I mean? So, like, he would send me letters, and then I would see the stuff, and I'm like, who did this? My mom would be like, your dad? I'm like, really? Like, And, and like, same way with my daughter. Like, I never sat down and taught my daughter how to draw, but she's very good at it. You know what I mean? And that's the same thing that happened with me. My dad never sat me down and taught me how to do it, but once I saw he did it, I just started doing it, and I realized I wasn't too bad. It just was this innate thing that came yeah. through you. I believe yeah. that. I definitely yeah. believe believe that these things become embedded within you without you even realizing it. Most certainly. Yeah. Yeah. So now you're working at this store and people are not, now starting to notice this mark making that you're doing yeah. on physical products. Wh- mm-hmm. Where do you go from here? What happens now? Well, for me, it never... See, the, the funny thing about my whole journey is it was never an, an intentional thing. So it was never a moment where like, okay, now it's time to do this and do, like, I, I never looked at it like that. I, like, I've always drawn, I've always painted, i always done that, not as frequently as I do now, but it's this is not something that I just started doing. You know, it's been since day one. So like four years old, you know what I mean? Been in art and humanity charters in elementary school and middle school. They always put me in a special art charter in public school because they felt like I was gifted in the arts. I won all kind of contests. I had my art, with, it was like a contest in, a, in Philadelphia where uh, the best piece from every school got to be in the art museum in the lobby, you know, and I won for my school. So my art was in the lobby, you know, and and this is in middle school. So like, I won all these certificates and awards and all this kind of stuff. So like, I just felt like, you know, like from from that right there, it just was what it was. Um, I guess kind of like my my music slowing up, like I said, kind of like therapeutically, I got back into my art. So without intentionally doing it, it just started to naturally become like a thing where it became more and more serious. But it wasn't a step, like it wasn't like something that I really, um, you know, thought about or like planned or, or any of that. It was just like, it just happened, which makes it even that more authentic to me, you know. Totally. I definitely believe the things that you do as a kid, you don't realize will just come back full circle yeah. and present themselves in your life. I mean, in a big way, like you as mm-hmm. your career, but also in the way that you just live your life. 
in general as, in his creative way. As to why, as to why my first real body of work and still even in the work I do now, but mo more so my first body of work was called Childhood Access Memories. And it all paid homage to that idea and that thinking and me acknowledging when it really started for me. You know what I mean? Like my childhood. So I, I thought it was very important to tell stories using cartoon illustrations that I really grew up watching to timestamp, uh, you know, the story I was trying to tell to other people, a story of nostalgia, you know, and just different things of that nature. So like everything with me is, is I paid to my childhood. So yeah, you're absolutely right about that. I am so glad you said the word nostalgia because I want to go back into a nostalgic time for you. Yeah. Something I'm so interested in because I wasn't a I wasn't I didn't know you then. Yeah. And it's so fun to hear stories from friends. Philly Philly's most wanted or bubonic, like the yeah. whole thing. I'm like, who? When yeah. when did this happen? How did I miss yeah. this? Could you talk to me about being the creative kid? you know, having the attention of your teachers and your classmates being creative, but then you're transitioning into music. When did that yeah. happen and how? Well, eight years old. So basically, um, my idea, no matter how much education I had, it was still a public school education. So some years I got lucky, some years I didn't, as far as like who was teaching, you know? And by the time I returned eight, my understanding of art, for the most part, was like you had to die to become like <laughs> a great artist. You know what I mean? Like, so I really believed that. Like, and I was like, well, shit, I want to fuck. I don't want to be that. Like, you know, like, like I want to be something now. You know what I mean? So like, I'm come from a musical family too, and you know, everybody's in the music, and Big Daddy came. That's who it was, like Big Daddy Kane, Public Enemy, and Rock Kim. Those three artists, like, were part, like, were major in my childhood. And um, I just wanted to be Big Daddy Kane, though. You know what I mean? So, like, I was like eight years old. I'm like, man, I gotta, you know, I gotta do this. So I started like just freestyling, saying words. I didn't even know what they meant or anything. Like, I never even heard my, I never even said some of the words before. Like, I didn't even know where it was coming from. You know what I mean? Like, it just started coming out. And, um, you know, people around me, my cousins, my different people on my eighth birthday, uh, you might be too young for this, but like back in the day, on the radio it used to be you hit play and record on a cassette tape but you had to stuff the cassette tape like the little holes on the back of the cassette tape you had to stuff them with like paper and then you could overdub on something that was already playing so like it was a big daddy Kane beat and he was even rapping on it still but like you hit the record and play and i, I started rapping on it i'm like cussing all kind of shit and um a birthday party so i take the tape after i'm done I'm with all my friends, you know, it's my birthday party. I'm feeling good. My mom and all the grown-ups downstairs, like, doing whatever they're doing. And I, I come down with the tape. I'm like, Mom, I want to play something for you. But, like, you know, like, I'm, like, cussing a little bit, but it's good. You know, it's, she, like, play it. It's explicit, yeah, yeah. Mom. <laughs> she, like, play it. So I play it. And um, she was like, that's pretty good. Like, I'm not even going to lie. Like, that's really good. Like, you don't be cussing like that. But that was good. And that just put the battery in my back. So that started the, you know, that's the big birth of Boo Bonnie right there, eight years old, eighth birthday party. Did you yeah. name your, did you name yourself Boo Bonnie or how did it? My name always been Boo. My okay. mom, Boo Boo. And then it turned into Boo as I got older. And then one of my friends, actually, Darnell, he just like, just randomly one day, cause you know, the plague, like he just was like Boo Bonnie, you know? And I was like, oh, I like that. Like, I'm, that, that's going to be my rap name, you know? But he was just messing around. Like, I was just going to be Boo, you know? But, like, he, he was like, Boo Bonnie. I was like, okay, that's it. Yeah. What does that that's name mean to you now? Boo Bonnie? Yeah. Not much, because I don't, I don't, <laughs> nobody Not calls me. <laughs> I mean, I mean, well, people call me Bonnie, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and Bonnie just means Boo Bonnie. You know, I don't put, I'm the kind of person, you should know this, I think you would know this by now, like, I don't, I try to just stay even kill. I don't put too much stock into a lot of things that, that you know, that 
don't really matter. I like moving forward and looking forward. So, um, you know, everything that happened in that phase of my life, I believe, was put in place for now. Right. I, I do know that about you. And I really admire yeah. about you so much because I have through the, you know, through the time that I've known you, I've only witnessed you in forward motion, yeah, yeah. no matter what you did. And yeah. I think that's why I'm so interested in where that comes from and where that's yeah. cultivated from. Yeah. Especially from your transitions, although you may not have been like, these were the pivotal times that I moved from this to, to this to this. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested in that because now I'm this eight-year-old kid and I'm rapping and I'm discovering that I'm so super good and yeah. I'm growing up fast because now I'm saying all these words that maybe I'm not supposed to say, but yeah, for sure. now where does this follow you throughout the years to then lead you to a rap group? Well, naivete, one, you know, like the belief that I was good enough to do it. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm like, I'm going to be a star. Meanwhile, nobody around me is one, nobody doing it. Nobody, I had no points of reference like that were close, you know, but, but I will say this, my sister's then boyfriend, now ex-husband, now baby father, you know, um, he, um, he knew Jazzy Jeff in the Fresh Prince. And one time he came around with him and like, I was just like, I couldn't believe it. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, wow, that's crazy. And all they new music, he used to play it for me, like brand new funk and all these, I heard them as demos, like, you know, like he had them and would come over the house. So those kind of things for me always made me feel like, I was on a different path because I'm very, I'm very young, by the way, at this time too, but I still could tell, I'm like, how, how do I get to hear this before people? You know what I mean? Like, that's amazing. Like, so I always felt like it was a reason for that kind of stuff. And um, we were badass kids. Me and my friends, we used to get in a lot of trouble. And um, this guy by the name of Charlie Mack, who um, he had, he was about to have his first ever celebrity basketball game, who he's also Will Smith's bodyguard at the time. And um, he's like on the beginning of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, like the guy that beat him up and make him move and all that, like that's Charlie Mack. So like um, he, um, you know, all this is about to happen, by the way, simultaneously, like that show is about to come out. All this stuff is about to happen, but it didn't happen yet. And um, he was like, young boys, like, come here. And he had flyers. And he was like, if y'all, if I ride around and I see these flyers all over the city, I'll make y'all the ball boys for the game. And, and like, the, it just had everybody who's going to be there, like Big Daddy Kane, just all these different people. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, so we bad as hell. You know, we passing them all out everywhere, throwing a lot down the sewer hole, you know, like, but we like getting it done. And um, we knew to get enough done where he could see him and know that we really were doing it. You know what I mean? And um, we became the ball boys. And then we got to be backstage after the show. Big Daddy Kane, every rapper that was popping at the time and actors and stuff was there. And they was treating us like we was like, you know, like these people we see on TV and all of a sudden they treating us like they know us. And I was like, I need that. I was like, I need that every day. I need them to know us. And that that kind of like, that started that whole, got it, that, that really, um, that really nurtured the belief that it could be done. That one thing. You know what I mean? It's that one opportunity. Yeah. For those who don't know, who comprised the Phillies Most Wanted? Who were your friends? Who were these people that you were? So Phillies Most Wanted sound like a gang of people, but it, it wound up only being me and my partner, oh, <laughs> Mr. Okay, okay. Mr. Man, uh, but who also was like my childhood best friend since we were like little kids living on the same block and everything. And funny enough, when we got our record deal, it was three of us. And it was like a guy who we had met in our teens, went to high school with, who's like a family friend and all that. And like, he got in the group and then he went his own separate way. And then it wound up just being us two. But yeah, it was only two people. And he's going, he's now going through this with you. This yeah. is, you guys got signed. You are busy. What was that lifestyle like? What did it mean to you? And then what did it mean to the people around you as you're suddenly growing in this fame? 
Well, it was everything because the last people to do it from at that point were Fresh Prince and Jazz and Jeff from our city. You know, like nobody was the youngsters. That was a group. They did okay and all that, but like nobody, like it wasn't. It didn't feel like how I felt when we came through, and then we had Beanie Siegel and the, the, the major figure. It was like a whole new hip hop renaissance coming out of Philly, and we were definitely at the forefront of that. Um, we had to deal first, you know what I mean? And um, we brought a lot of eyeballs to look that way. Like people were trying to tell us when we were first going to get, we had Dr. Dre, we had all kinds of people trying to sign us and people were like, Philly's most wanted, what about most wanted, you know? Like, and we like, nah, like we from Philly, but Philly was that cold at the time that they were like, it'd be better to just say most wanted because then you could kind of like, act like you're from New York if you want, since New York is like, I'm like, Nah, like it's Philly's most wanted. So we stuck to our guns on that. And I'm so happy that we did because I love, I love where I'm from, although I don't live there. Yeah. Now you're here in this, in this moment in time that is, you know, most people will not ever experience in their life. Yeah. Where were you at personally? Who, who, you know, where, where's your family? Well, are you are you dating? Are you trying to date? How is how are you personally? Especially well, really- a wreck, a wreck. <laughs> no. You, you got to understand, like um, from the time. All right, so eight, I started rapping. So between eight to I say it took ten years. From eight to eighteen, so many of our friends, close friends, best friends, everyday friends, spending night with each other, house, go to school every day together, friends got killed right in front of us. Um, my partner brother, who was like my brother, I got him tattooed on my arm. He got killed by another one of our friends, like who we were also close with. So, you know, it's like all this weird shit started to happen. And um, it just felt like we were going to die. Like, honestly, I, I didn't think I was going to be 18 years old for a while. I was like, I started getting alopecia, like bald spots in my head, all kinds of shit, because I, I just was so stressed out. And I didn't even realize I was stressed out. Like, I didn't even know how stressed out I was and depressed I was, you know, because I'm a kid and we, we, you're in the hood, you know, you don't have therapists and people telling you or diagnosing you with different things. You're just going through the motions. So um, all that took place. And then um, about 17, shit started to, turn around and started to look promising, like started to seem like a reality. And um, we got the deal. And at that exact moment in time, I had like three or four girls pregnant as soon as I got the record deal. And at the same time, for the most part. And I had two kids back to back, like a week apart, two weeks apart, about two, three weeks apart. And then I had another kid a little bit later than that, a year later. And it was just like, soon as my life changed, it changed like in every way possible. And it was a lot. It was a hell of a lot for a young teenage dude just getting his foot in somewhat. And, um, you know, on TV and on the radio. So people think you got $100 million and all kind of shit, you know. So it was like very complicated times, believe it or not. I can look back at them now and be like, man, it was some fun in there, but it was complicated. It definitely wasn't as fun as it looked on TV to people, for sure. Yeah. If someone were to tell you you were going to go through this and you were going to survive that, would it just be so unbelievable to you? Like, hey, you're going to get a record deal. You're going to be great in your musical career. You're going to have three children on the way. You're going to be trying to survive Really? And our music career fell short, way short of what it was supposed to. So you can't forget that part. Like the projections and where we actually landed are two different places, you know, and that's why you hear the term legend or things of that nature. When you hear those kind of things, it normally is a, kind of basically a signal to show like, you know, you're a legend, like, you know, the legend of, but like, it, it should just be crystal clear. And it wasn't crystal clear what we met to the uh, music industry because of some mishaps in business and management, things of that nature, stuff out of our control, had nothing to do with the music. And yeah, it's if crazy. You knew, if you knew what you know now, then mm-hmm. 
What is a piece of advice that you wish that you knew being so young and going through all of that? When you get in business with your friends, it's very important to be very honest and forthcoming and upfront in the moments. Like we knew the guy who was managing us wasn't a manager. He was more of a sponsor. But when you in the hood, you don't know that kind of stuff. He was paying for us to go to the studio. He was paying for, but he had no skills in management. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't a manager, he was a sponsor. And if we would have had known that, things could have been different. And also my friendship with my partner, like I always knew my partner wasn't all the way in it because he told me he wasn't, you know, it was more so because we were so tight and I was doing it. He was like, fucking, I'm going to do it, you know, but he, he wasn't into it. Like I was into it. You know what I mean? So like, um, I would have took the opportunities that I had on the table, which I didn't take out of loyalty because I'm like, you know, now nah, I'm with my brother, like we doing, but he's still going to be my brother, but I can get us to another place. You know what I mean? Like, so instead of like not allowing myself to get us to that second, that other place, I just like, you know, lived and died with that when we could have both been in a better spot if I would have just did what I know I should have had done. And you're so, like you said, it was such a complicated time. So it's easier than done now. But yeah. now that you are going through this time, who are you looking to? for parenting advice, being a first time parent, but all at one time, is this where, you know, your relationship with your mom and your sisters just heightens even more and tightens up because of that? Um, Not really, you know, like my mom, my sisters, yeah, yeah, you know, I talk to them a lot, but more so, it's a man named uh, Dana, call him Dana Black. He was like my old head. He was somebody who gave me a lot of wisdom on life, on everything. And that's the person who I leaned on the most. I actually lived with him during those times. And he he gave me some of the best advice in my entire life to this day. You know what I mean? When it came to the music, my parents weren't that supportive of that. You know what I mean? Like, and for good reason, you know, it's like, they don't know anybody who did it. They, you know, they just parents and they just want you to be the best person you can be. That's what I realize now that I'm a parent, but you have to support your kids' dreams no matter what, you know? And that's the one thing they didn't do in that way. You know what I mean? And um, they learned though, because they saw the, they saw what happened. You know what I mean? And it was like, oh wow, like, okay. And they never questioned me again about, you know, decisions about what, if I told them I was passionate about something, they never questioned it again. I, I am not a parent and I, I can't no. say that I totally relate, but I can say that now that I'm older, I understand my parents so much more and have yeah. so much more appreciation for maybe the things that I thought they were being too strict on. Yeah. In hindsight, yeah. I'm grateful that maybe they're, you know, they're, they're yeah. a little bit more strict and they were leading by experience. And they're like, nope, yeah. I know what that would be like. That's not going to end up well some things some things you know but like at the end of the day the idea is that your kid will be better than you right so you can't project your fears and your failures onto your kids you know and mask it is looking out for them you know what I mean like like it's not it doesn't work like that it's like just because you felt at something don't mean I'm gonna fail at it you know what I mean so like you should encourage it and everything's not for everybody, you know, like everybody's different. What works for you, just because you become a parent doesn't mean it's going to work for your child. You know what I mean? Like there's something else might be they calling. And I feel like a lot of kids get mixed up and lose direction because they're being thrusted into a direction that's not natural for them because that's not their natural life direction. That's not where they feel like they like who's going to lead them. Some people need more guidance than others, you know? So it really depends on the kid and the parents. And, you know, I know a lot of people that went to college who feel like they just wasted their parents' money and wasted their time and everybody else's time. I know people that went to college and excelled. You know what I mean? Like, it really depends. It really depends. Yeah. And speaking of uh, children and childhood, now I want to go back. I feel like this is the time where we can go back into your references, your heavy references 
from yeah. your childhood and how that's shifted and affected your work and where you're yeah. at now. You've got a real job, you're painting, you're making art. Yeah. Now, what, is, what are those uh, moments that are leading, leading you to take this a little bit more seriously? Well, it's like that painting in back of you. It's like opportunities I get to tell stories from my childhood, which at this point, I feel like I already lived four different lives, lifetimes. You know what I mean? Like, so I have abundance of stories that I just need to get out. So I'm never short on inspiration or things of that nature ever, because it's just so much shit that I haven't been able to get out yet still. So like right now today, I still have so many, it feels, seems like endless inspiration to create more stuff. You know, like once this show is over, I got more stuff that I want to, like a whole nother story I want to tell. You know what I mean? And it, it's just like so much stuff that happened through my lifetime that I just want to get it all out. And I just feel like my childhood is the catalyst for that because one thing we all can relate on, race, creed, color, whatever the case may be, that we all been children before. You know what I mean? And we all watch cartoons on some level, either rather uh, reluctantly or just, you know, being involved and wanting to be. Um, but we all seen these things. So they all are part of our childhood. And I think it's important to tell stories that way because you reach the masses better that way because it's things that we have in common that you can't deny. So I thought that was a great medium for me to tell the stories. I want. None of the stories are childlike at all, no matter what the images look like. They're not, they're not stories for kids, you know what I mean? Like they're very grown stories about my childhood that just show you that things don't change too much. Things kind of remain the same. Like as a child, these things still relate today to my adult self, you know what I mean? Nick and I talk about this all the time because we're, you know, especially during quarantine, we're watching a lot of movies yeah. and, you know, shows. And it's just funny to rewatch older films and older movies that yeah. as a kid, it just goes right past you. Yeah. As an adult, rewatching it, you're understanding that adults made these movies. Exactly. These exactly. Films. So there's these adult undertones there. Always understand now that are so relatable to you and are actually not childish. And all. believe it or not, subconsciously, you understood them then too. You know what I mean? Like, like it, 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 it took it, it, it helped in the molding of you as a child. That's why I think it's important what cartoons kids watch because it's always subliminal messaging in all of it. You know what I mean? And they, and it's oftentimes very strong subliminal messaging like um shark tail for instance you know it's one of my current as an adult favorite animated uh things and uh that one they talk about him not eating meat or not eating fit you know being a vegetarian you know and being different and wanting to dress like this and look like that and making himself look like a dolphin and all this different stuff but what it's really talking about is homosexuality you know, like, but it doesn't say that directly, but that's what the subliminal messaging is. And that's the understanding. If you're really looking at it, you understand it at the end, how they had to wind up accepting him for who he was. That didn't change who he was. That didn't make him a wimp. That didn't make him any of these things. That's just who he is and embrace that. And that's what happened. And I feel like in every cartoon, the subliminal messaging, that's definitely, um, very much so adult. Maybe that's why every time I interact with your work, I'm creating new narratives in my mind yeah. that are related to the old narratives that I was introduced to. You do this thing where you involve these characters from different shows in different places with each other and you're putting yeah. them in a different environment. And it makes me question the the different type of narrative that I want to tell when I'm, you know, when I'm viewing it. Yeah. It really yeah. change. It really changes it for me. Yeah. At, at this point, who is holding you accountable for taking art more seriously and helping you be consistent or showing you 
this is a thing. Let's 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 continue this. Nobody. Nobody. It's <laughs> me. Like, you know, like I'm I'm the kind of human being who um once I set my mind to something, hey, you spoke to this earlier about trying to figure out like why is it always forward motion and, and things of that nature? Because for me, like that eighth grade, I mean that eight-year-old birthday party, my mom told me she thought I was good. That's all it took. I never stopped rapping after that. You know what I mean? Like, so when I started doing the art again, like doing it more and more, which was really for therapeutic reasons. It had nothing to do with trying to become an artist or anything. I was just like getting back into my art because I felt like I needed to, like to survive. You know what I mean? And not financially, just like spiritually and just not give up on everything. And I know art is energy. I know that. I always have known that. So, like, um, I just started getting back into it in that way. And then it started to really pop. And I was like, oh, wow. And that's all it took. I was like, okay, boom. I'm going to paint every day until the day I die for the rest of my life, period. And that's just who I am, you know. And anybody that knows me knows that, like, I'm. that's just who I am. Like, I'm not stopping. So, and, and that's the scary part for some people, you know what I mean? But like, for people who love me, that's the beautiful part, you know what I mean? But I'm just, I'm just, I'm not a quitter. I don't give up on things easily at all. Like, so I just keep it going, pushing forward. I've never dated an artist until this, this time. Yeah. And because of that, I've, I've gotten to dive into I say the art industry and yeah. how it has all these, there's these institutional. Well, you have a very sophisticated <laughs> artist on your side of it. Like he teaches me stuff. You have a very sophisticated artist on your side of the fence. Like I'm, I'm not that kind of artist, you know, like he's, he's, he's very sophisticated. Naked, well, sure. I guess that's why I, I guess that's why I'm so curious because yeah. you may think that, but having yeah. been a witness of you showing in galleries, showing at Art Basel, you know, selling to this person and this person, having relationships yeah. with Tommy Hilfiger and being director at his, you know, fashion show, all these things from the outside, yeah. I'm, this is as professional as it gets until it just keeps going. Yeah, yeah. Who's, yeah. Who are your points of references? And that that's what I'm talking about as far as getting serious on a professional level now that you know you oh well oh okay so yeah your boyfriend <laughs> uh no i'm being serious like nick mike uh tommy uh rich uh tommy's son um these are like people who definitely inspired me to take it very serious without them saying it to me just like from a i'm just looking like man look how serious they you know, how serious they are about their craft. And like, I always been serious about my crafts, but it's just that added motivation to, you know, take it to the next. And um, that's about it. But like, from a driving standpoint, like nobody, nobody comes to me like, yo, take it serious because they don't have to. Because nine times out of 10, I'm out working most people. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm constantly working. So like, you don't get the opportunity to tell me like, yo, you need to stay on it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm on it. So it's hard. There's really no space for that. For somebody to keep me motivated. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's really important to be surrounded by people that are just leading by example. Yeah. It's much better if they don't tell you, hey, seriously, it's much better if they're just working at it. And you have a wonderful group of people around you that show that. I will, I would say that you're also a mirror to them. Yeah, yeah. There's so many things that you are such a reference to all of us. And I'll say that. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, Be it consistency and persistency. Yeah. I think something that I really, really, really enjoyed witnessing lately is your relationship and you being in love. This is... (laughs) We joked about this very often, and it wasn't a joke, y'all. Y'all even inspired that. Like that's what <laughs> I mean. Like, like for real, for real. Like I didn't. That was a strong reference for me to like being like, 
that's I like that. Like that that looks cool to me. Like that looks like something I would want to have in my life. You know, I've, I've seen tons of couples and hundreds of couples, of course, but I never it never I never saw it where it made me want to be in that. You know what I mean? Because you guys are in not the same space, but in a space that y'all can do things together. You know what I mean? And it really inspired me to like, you know, if I ever find that, I'm going to really latch on to that. I'm going to really hold on to it instead of, you know, any self-destructive behaviors or, or, you know, feeling the need to be by myself or any of those kind of things. I'm I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to like give it a real chance. And um, without even trying to, we found each other. And it just felt correct, you know what I mean? It felt like th- this must be it, you know what I mean? Like, and for whatever reason, I believed her and she believed me and here we are, you know what I mean? Like, just rocking out. That's my friend, that's really my friend too, you know what I mean? So, it's cool. We, we, we drive each other crazy, but, you know. <laughs> the good crazy, maybe. No, crazy, crazy, but <laughs> but it's all good, you know what I mean? Like. It's not like I wouldn't I wouldn't rather be anybody else. Me, you and Mike had lunch together mm-hmm. at Paloma. Mm-hmm. And I just I I I very I remember that conversation like it was yesterday. And yeah. Said, if it's not gonna be like this, I don't want it. Yeah. If it's not gonna be this type of relationship, I don't want it. And yeah. I I believed you when you said that. But I I meant that. I also heard you speak in into existence which is why it's that much more beautiful to me and more important for me to even see you two as a reference making work having a show together yeah Yeah. it's not easy i I mean i'm not even gonna act like maybe it is easy but what what looks easy is the support and appreciation and care for one another oh without question that's there that's there, but you, as you know, I'm sure you can relate to this, like having two passionate people in the same space, you know, trying to do things together and passionately in love and like relationship on top of it. It's different if it's just two passionate people and y'all just have a working relationship or whatever, you know, but when you're actually in love and you're passionate people and you're working together, it's um it's something else. It's very different, you know what I mean? Like and um but to me, I feel like everything that people are about to see uh makes it worth it. You know what I mean? Because like I know the energy that we both have separately and collectively, and then I know that when people get to see it for the first time, all is one cohesive you know, show, it's going to be powerful. You know what I mean? So I'm excited for that. I'm excited for the show because I think it is very telling as to where you are. Mm-hmm. Sonic is where the art of Elvisir, Holly yeah. is in this moment of time. Yeah. That when this is wrapped up, you have more stories to tell. Oh, without question. Stories without and qu- stories and stories. Yeah. Bonic, I, I said this very recently, but you are a huge reference to all of us and all of your mm-hmm. friends. I want I want to know something which is probably a really heavy question, but yeah. how do you want to be remembered in history as somebody with mm-hmm. such great influence who has lived four different lives? Yeah. As, you know, the person that you are today. How do you want to be remembered? Just as a person that was fair, honest and all about the embetterment of the people around them and uh, love, you know what I mean? Like like um, a lot of people who are passionate and have a lot of love to give, they're normally very misunderstood creatures, you know what I mean? And um, in, that misunderst- in those misunderstandings, frustration and different things arrive that create the misunderstandings to make them not so much misunderstandings, I miss, it makes them real. So it changes who the person is and not intentionally and not realistically, but from, from an optic standpoint, it's like you, you forget that the person's intentions were very good. And um, 
that's the main thing. I just want people to know my intentions always been good. I never wanted to step on nobody's neck or foot. You know what I mean? I'm not driven by other people's failures, you know, to lift myself up. Those things don't drive me. Like I, I'm driven. I'm self-driven. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm just, like I said, I have so many stories to tell. Like I, that's all the motivation I need. I don't need to look at nobody else and be like, I'm going to be better than that person. I'm a, I'm a dog. that, but, You know, and I think people can get that from me and that bothers them a little bit because I had artists say that to me, like, why don't you, you know you the dude, why don't you step on their necks and da-da-da. I'm like, that ain't like, well, if you know that, then why I got to do it? <laughs> like, if you know, if you're telling me that, then I don't, why, why do I have to act like that? Like, I'm not that kind of person. Like, you know what it is. Like, I'm just going to go about my business and do my thing. It doesn't make it not real. It doesn't make me not being honest. I'm just not that kind of person. I don't need to watch other people fail or prop myself up to be the man. I don't. Uh. Well, I know you will be remembered and I'm, again, you are just such a big inspiration to so many people. And I'm so glad that I got to hear this like A to infinity as to where a lot of these things have derived from. Yeah. Very, it's very exciting to me to, to know this. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad to tell, you know, like you, you family. So anytime I get to tell that story, I love it. You know what I mean? But I think me, Mike, your boyfriend, Christina, all of us, uh, I, I, can, I think I can speak for all of us in saying this is just like being remembered as far as art, our period is like how the people we see how they're remembering it and, and the how people tell their stories. And um, the funniest part about it that I always get a chuckle out of because it's really funny. And this is like to speak to like the deep side of art, you know, like the art historians and all these different people. They always try to tell people like, what, what made the artists do what they did as if they have any points of reference. In most cases, they don't, especially when it's like, abstract i love when when i go to an art gallery or art museum and they trying to tell me like what made this person do this or what it means like all this deep bullshit basically because if i had a time machine and i could go back and ask jackson pollock what made him do this that first abstract piece i guarantee you he'd say i was drunk and i was just doing anything i was emotional yeah you I know mean, what i mean it was it was but i was drunk I was, and i was doing i was if he was being completely honest i'm almost certain you know what i mean and there's nothing wrong with that being a response it's just like they feel like they need to add all this extra commentary to it to make it important when that the, the artist is important that you don't have to add extra shit to it to make it important the artist was important he was important because he made you feel and if he made you feel that's cool but like i just can imagine a hundred years from now them telling people what made me do something or you know if they don't have the information you know what i mean or mike and nick and any of us you know what made us do something and it's like you know i'm sure a lot of that should have been incorrect but that's that's how it goes and that's okay <laughs> well now that this is documented we just can't let that get twisted i know but it's so much shit that was documented back in the day like and they still tell the story <laughs> that they want to tell it you know what I mean? Like it wasn't documented like now per se, for sure. But like they still tell the stories, the, the art historians still tell the stories the way they wanted to tell it. Like I heard somebody explain my art. How did you feel? Explain my art to a group of people okay. in, in Art Basel. And I was just listening like, wow, like that's ridiculous. Like, and they all like, hmm, <laughs> like, oh yeah, okay, deep, I see. Yeah, and I'm like, that that don't have shit to do with what made me do that piece, but okay, like, cool. You know what I mean? So that was just all I needed to see to understand how off-base it can be, but I know it's part of the game. It's, it's part of the game. Yeah, it's right. part of the game. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're telling your story in this format yeah, when exactly. it's documented. I want to go into the last big round, which mm -hmm. is rapid-fire questions, so I'm going to ask yeah. questions off-top. Think of mm -hmm. the first person and, and tell me this, the first person that comes to mind when I ask these okay. questions. All right. Okay. Who is somebody who makes you laugh? Marley. 
who is somebody you can call at any time of the day? Rich. Who is somebody you're in love with? My girlfriend, my baby, Christina. Who is somebody who deserves the spotlight? Um, so many people. Uh, uh, all of us. I can't even put one person, honestly. So many people I could think of right now. I feel you. That one's a tough one. Yeah. Who is somebody you wish to meet one day, dead or alive? Well, not really many people I want to meet, <laughs> like, honestly. But uh, I wish I would have uh, met Pablo Picasso. And I also wish, like, we were the same uh, race when I met him. That way we could have a more honest conversation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because... I feel like it would be some bigotry there if he met me as I am, but you know, that's, he come from a different time. I've never heard that one before. No. My last one is, who is somebody you're proud of? Proud of myself. I'm very proud of myself. I overcome a lot of shit and um, I'll continue to, no matter what they throw at me. So I'm very proud of the work I've been able to do. I'm very proud that I've been able to reinvent myself in a real way when um, that's one of the most challenging things to do on earth is reinvent yourself after already having a recognizable profession. You know, it's very hard to do that. So I'm proud of myself for that. I'm proud of you too, Bonnick. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. On behalf of everyone, I am sending you a somebody to me scarf. I wanted Mm -hmm. to send somebody a scarf on your behalf. Who would you like, who is the somebody that you want me to send the scarf to and why? Christina, just because it's always, you know, that's the first person I think of when I think of stuff like, like, I just, I just like, she's the first person I just like go places and just get her shit just because that's just my homie and I love her. And it's just like, I, it's like, I see shit and I think she might not, you know, get it for herself. So I'm like, she need to have that. It'd be cool. And it's like, for no other reason other than that, like, it's not for no other reason. And I never felt that in my life. Uh, I wanted to have it all. That's a real, uh, that's a real feeling. Yeah, for real. Uh, I appreciate you, Bonnick. Thank you so much for this. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to Somebody To Me podcast. Don't forget to follow the Somebody To Me Instagram. That's spelled S-M-B-D-Y, the number two, M-E. And tag us on your post or DM us with any thoughts you may have. Please like and subscribe to this podcast on whichever platform you're listening from. I'm Sam Dannon, and thank you for being Somebody To Me.